What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Currents. Today, it's Michael and I, and we are trying to get a podcast in between nap, nap schedules. We're both stay-at-home dads on rainy days, and uh, we're, we're going to do our best to, to power through and get a, get a podcast in for you. Today, we're going to talk about spring and summer flounder fishing. So, uh, Michael and I both really enjoy flounder fishing, even if you can't keep fish. I mean, it, it's we just like targeting fish and, and catching the fish we're targeting uh, the cool thing about flounder is you could, you're fishing a lot of areas that, that look fishy and, and you get rewarded on good cast to points and Creek mouths and whatnot. And it's just, a, they're a fun fish to fish for. Um, you know, I, I like trout as well, redfish as well, everything. It's all fun, but flounder can really, you know, push you to become a better angler as far as reading water and picking out fishy areas. Uh, before we get into it too much, want to let y'all know about the sponsor for this podcast. It's first class glass. Uh, they do custom fiberglass work on boats. They can redo uh, motors. They can completely repaint your motor cowling and your pretty pretty much your whole motor, or they can repaint your whole motor, make it look brand new. So uh, if you're in the Wilmington area, the North Carolina area, and need full boat restoration, fiberglass repair, um, pretty much taking old boats and making them look brand new, first class glass is where you need to go. Uh, also hit up Ice Strike Fishing if you need any jig heads or uh, any of their uh, their tackle. They've got a bunch of great stuff. Um, and they're they're a sponsor of the show as well. Big supporter of everything Eastern Current. I uh, actually got the pleasure of fishing with uh, with Dave up in Weldon the other day and caught a bunch of striper on topwater, kind of caught a bunch of striper on their jigs and had a great time. But um, first class glass and I strike fishing. Definitely check them out. Also, Marshwear uh, clothing and AFCO clothing. Uh, go check them out as well. Great. Uh, I'd say Marshwear has got a really good kind of uh, life vibe going on and AFCO is more of your, your serious sportwear. Um, but but d- definitely go check those out if you haven't. But that's enough of me chit-chatting, going through all that stuff. I'm at pretty much out of breath. I need to go ahead and bring Michael on here because, like we said, we're trying to do this in between nap schedules. We'll see how much of a podcast we can get out there for y'all. So, What's up, man? What's up? <laughs> I don't think I breathed in the, that whole time. <laughs> oh, not much. Just watching it rain outside. Raining all day long. Come on. Um. But yeah, so we're gonna talk spring flounder fishing. Michael, you you whacked them pretty good the other day, didn't you? Yeah, we we did pretty good. We got ten total for about four hours of fishing, and two of them were right at eighteen or eighteen and a half. So some good size ones already starting to show up. Heck yeah. I typically, I'm starting. You know, when the water temperature hits sixty five, you start to get a little influx of them. But once it gets up to that like seventy mark, we had a couple good warm days last last week where it hit 90 91 that water temperature really warmed up and i think those fish started to move in started this cold in. snap that we've got right now with this cold rain it's probably going to drop the water temperature back down and they might move back out or they might shut down for a little bit yeah but you know as soon as that water temperature starts to warm up definitely around that 70 degree mark is when i start to see them really start to show up good okay um and then, you know, I mean, typical summertime, like, good flounder fishing, I feel like, in 75, 76, you know, and up. Definitely. When it really starts cranking, but. It's always um, fun when you start seeing them this time of year, too, and they're aggressive and they're eating, you know. I think the first inshore flounder I caught was the beginning of March. Oh, wow. Which was early. I mean, there's always some flounder that hang around, but this was, like, a good-sized flounder. It felt like it, it had pushed in from the ocean and, and whatnot, yeah. but. Um, it also coughed up a massive menhaden, which I hadn't seen any of those at that point in, in the year. And so it was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, it's, 
I mean, me and Michael, Michael, we talk about it all the time. It's flounder is such a great filler fish, you know, on tougher tides, on tougher days, you can always go out and, and find some flounder. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, and we've talked about it in podcasts in the past, but, but springtime fishing for them. So what, what kind of areas are you looking for? Um, spring into summer as this water warms up, we'll, we'll kind of call it like a late spring, early summer, um, trend. Typically I'm starting, I mean, and we talk about this with trout, redfish, everything closer to the inlets and I start working my way back. So like I fish Saturday, for instance, I started, I actually started in the inlet and fished right there as the tide was changing we had a good current flow and I drifted the inlet. I picked up two fish there. They were a little smaller, but at least gave me the idea like, all right, they're around, they're starting to make the transition and in, in uh, shore. And then from there, I start checking the creeks closest or I check my largest structure. So docks and drop-offs, points, ledges, that kind of stuff, you know, within that half mile kind of radius around the inlets. Um, and I always have spots that I know in the back of my head that hold fish year after year after year. And those are kind of the spots that I go and target first, but they fall into that those categories, right, you know. Right deep holes drop you know big drop-offs ledges whatever um i start checking there so if you had to pick one one type of spot to fish this time of year for for flounder what would it be i think it would be drop-offs right outside of creek mouths yeah i would agree that's exactly what i was thinking and, and like secondary deep holes and creek mouths too but but i think yeah, yeah. the drop-offs and creek mouths it's it's i mean pretty much inshore that's like that's a hard one not to target Big yeah. structure too. That's another thing. Like fishing docks around inlets can be, be be really productive as well this time of year. But I just don't fish docks as much. I, I know you fish docks pretty heavily for flounder, not necessarily redfish, but for flounder you really like dock fishing. Um, is there anything specific in the docks that you're looking for to, to catch flounder? Docks are really just time consuming. That's kind of the biggest thing for me. If you fish like the creeks and the drop offs, like you're talking about, you know, if you hit those areas with three or four casts and you don't pick up a fish you know there's probably not one there at this time of year because they're super aggressive they're looking for something to eat it's the reason why they're coming in shore they're following the first bits of bait in but on the docks and stuff you just got to take your time to pick them apart i will say higher tides i feel like are better for them this time of year they don't seem to like to sit nearly as shallow as they do during the summer um so targeting them on either the last bit of incoming or the top of the fall especially if you're in that four to five foot range i feel like it's a little better watered up too sometimes yeah um but picking a dock apart finding that one little spot where they're sitting because it's not um there's just not the numbers here right now for them you know for multiple fish to be on every single dock it can happen but it's typically one maybe two fish you know and they're sitting right behind a pole or a post or something waiting for that bait to come around yeah and so it's just taking your time and really picking it apart how important would you say it is for you like this time of year to be fishing around large amounts of bait because it seems yeah it seems like you know that's a question i get quite often like are you trying to find the bait and fish around the bait but uh you know that the bait's transitionary too right now which which is kind of what i've learned is like it's not necessarily holding in one spot. It's moving through. So these fish are putting themselves in places along that transitionary path, stopping and feeding. 
whether that be red fish trout or flounder. But so, so you you're about the same. You're not necessarily like looking for bait for flounder fishing. No, I mean, if I see bait, that's great. But most of the time, I'm not. I'm more paying attention to location because, especially this time of year, the water's just not quite warm enough for the bait to be super active right up on the surface. You know that kind of stuff. The water right now is cool enough that it's still holding a pretty large amount of oxygen so the bait like mullet and stuff you'll see them a lot of times during the summer right up at the surface because they're gulping air and that kind of stuff making disturbances helping oxygenate the water because that water the oxygen level drops a lot during the summer but right now the water temperature is cool enough it's still holding a lot of a lot of oxygen so just because you're not seeing them on the surface doesn't mean that they're not in those same areas they just may be swimming down deeper right right yeah, I think so. that's a good point for sure. Um, so when these fish are hanging out deeper this time of year, is, is there a specific? Is there anything specific you change in the way that you target them, or how you approach them, or or how you're fishing for them? I definitely upsize my jig head. I want to make sure I almost always have bottom contact, especially for flounder and like those do- deep drop spots. You know, we were talking about ledges and stuff. I want to be able to cast up shallow work it off of that and make sure it drops from that shallow, get it over the ledge and let it drop into kind of the deeper holes um, and make sure I'm getting bottom contact without that bait just blowing through the hole with the current. Right. You know, more of like trout and stuff, I want to be able to work it and I want it to stay kind of right off the bottom or just kind of bump it right up, you know, let it bump it and let it come up off the bottom and kind of move around in the current. When I'm fishing more for flounder, I'm throwing quarter – um through six quarter three eighths or a half ounce okay jig head you know a lot of times the half ounce that's more of like right at the mouth of the inlet i want to make sure i get down you know in those heavy current situations but more inshore quarter and three eighths is you know kind of the thing especially because i fish a lot of z-man too just to get that much action but they're also naturally buoyant so you want to go with something a little heavier to make sure you get it down right right uh I, I think th- it's I'm sorry, go ahead. key to, like, when you get a hit, like, being able to discern what the bottom is versus a hit, that kind of stuff. When you're trying to maintain contact in that deeper water, fishing some of that current and whatnot, mm-hmm. is there any type of, you know, retrieve style or positioning and how you position your boat, anything like that that comes into play as far as, like, getting a good productive cast? Are you, are you sitting there throwing up current into it? Or are you throwing down current? Like, are you sitting and throwing side current, swinging it? rod tip up rod tip down like anything like that most of the time i'm positioning my boat down current of where i want to fish and i'm throwing up current that way i can let the line a lot of times when i'm doing this i'll pitch my bait up open the bell and let it just drop freely gotcha and then close the bell once i say give it you know two three seconds to make sure it hits the bottom close the bell rod tip up and i I fish rod tip up most of the time for flounder and that's just because it keeps the least amount of water actually in the line or the least amount of line in the water so that you, you know, you have more sensitivity. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's windy or whatever, I'll put my rod tip down, but for the most part, I'm keeping it up. Yeah. That's what I like to do as well. Flout or flout (laughs) trout or (laughs) flounder, um, with that rod tip up if I can, when it gets windy, you get too much bow in the line. You really can't feel anything, but, um, yeah. God, when you got a calm day and you can just have, you know, three or four feet of line in the water, you can feel everything. I mean, you can really tell then if it's a shell or if it's a fish. 
Um, so, all right. So the age old question, I'm just kind of drilling you today with questions. I guess that's how this podcast is going to go. The age old question is like, if you're fishing an artificial or a live bait, well, let's just, we've just been talking artificial. So when do you set the hook? You feel what you think is a bite. Are you the kind of guy that jacks them right off the bat or are you sitting there and waiting 30 seconds? Cause I'm definitely not the one that waits 30 seconds. This time of year, when I feel it hit, most of the time I'm setting the hook right there. Yeah. And the fish right now are so aggressive because there's such a small amount of bait in the area. When they want to eat, they're ready to eat, they'll attack it. Yeah. Like, I think Saturday we hooked maybe 12 or 13. We lost one right beside the boat, and the other two, you know, came off pretty quick. So kept pulling our skirts down, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's definitely some short strikers out there right now, but that could also have been lizard fish and other stuff. So that would um, be a uh, a really good band name, Short Strikers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that just popped in my head. I'm crazy, but uh, yeah, th- I feel like you know I think there's probably a lot of little ones around this time of year too, the ones that just pull the pants down and whatnot. Um, yeah, I, my kind of rule of thumb and the way I've I've kind of developed my my artificial flounder fishing is like. I don't wait long, but if I feel like I got a bite, I kind of give it three seconds, check that pressure, like wiggle it a little bit. Because you got to imagine if a flounder comes up, here's a bait fish swimming, and and eats the bait fish. It's very used to feeling that bait fish probably moving around in its mouth trying to escape. You know what I mean? You don't have to just give it dead slack. And in all honesty, it might actually help if you've got a little bit of movement on that bait. But so I'll kind of, you know, I'll feel that thump. And so I, I sit there, give it one Mississippi, two Mississippi, then I'll kind of check to see if that pressure is still there two or three times, like in a row. And if it's there, I'm reeling down and setting the hook. That's kind of how I've always played yeah. around with it. And, and even in the ocean, and I was actually just watching an, watching an ocean video I did last year, flying fishing by myself before a guide trip. And, you know, I feel pretty good about my, you know, not waiting too long to set the hook. But then I'm sitting there and I watched myself pull it out of like, four fish's mouths only giving them like five seconds to eat it. So I think bait fishing, you might as well let them choke it. But if you can't keep them yeah. right now, like I wouldn't let them choke it too long. Um, cause they might get it in the stomach and you're going to end up killing them. But, but as far as artificials go, you know, give them three, four seconds and, and hit them is kind of how I feel about it. Cause you're not going to hit, if they are a real mouthy flounder, I don't think you're going to really hook them well on the jig anyways. So no, Hang on one second. We got to pass you down, and I'll be right back. Yep, yep. Um, I will. You can continue on without me. Yep, I'll continue on without you. So, um, with that being said, we're talking there about um, you know artificial and how long to wait to set the hook. And I was talking about watching that video of myself um, and, and and not uh, and realizing how many fish I was I was missing on bait, and so. I think it's really just a matter of, of that day of fishing. It's like just some days you're throwing topwaters for redfish and those fish come up and crush a topwater that you don't miss a single one. Other days they're just kind of waking the bait or pushing it a little bit and you really can't get them hooked. Um, it's it, it's nice to kind of read into each day and be able to make a decision based on on you know when to set the hook on those flounder depending upon how the fish are acting. So you know there's no there's no hard fast rule. Um, but but being able to to kind of key in on into how the fish are acting, I'm just scrambling here. I got real nervous and Michael walked off. So um, key in on on how long to wait before you set the hook. 
Um, but but rule of thumb, jig, give them you know three to five seconds. Uh, you know, check that weight, and then with a with a bait, if you're if you're fishing during keeper season, which we have here, other places there's no such thing as keeper season. You can just keep them all year. Um, you know, you can give them a little bit longer. But you hate to gut hook a little one or gut hook one when you can't keep them. Um, anything else you want to add to that, Michael? No, I think you pretty much hit it. Like I say, like this time of year, I'm pretty quick with the with the jig. But once we get, you know, 75, 80 degree water temps and then we get into a full summertime fishing for flounder, I mean, I'm like you. I let it sit there for a little longer, that three to five seconds or whatever with yeah. the jig head, make sure they're there. So, but no, I think that you're on par with the same thing I do. Sweet. So do you think uh, that the the places that you're catching these fish are going to change over the next month or two as we get into like June and July? Um, or once flounder come in shore, are they kind of like, because redfish, it's it, it can change a lot, you know, but flounder, yeah. it feels like, and this might be my lack of flounder knowledge, but it feels like once they're in, they're just kind of doing their thing. They're just in the spots that they're going to be in. Um, what's your opinion on that? And, and maybe not as shallow or using the spots the same way, but what's your yeah. opinion on that? No, I mean, I definitely feel like they they stay pretty close to the same spots. A flounder's going to move to put itself in the best ink spot as the tide comes in and goes out, you know, and that water level drops, rises and drops. You were but saying put themselves in the best ambush spot? Sorry, it, it split off there for a second. Yeah. Okay. I think they put themselves, you know, in the best ambush spot, and that ambush spot's going to be the same today, tomorrow, this summer, this fall, whenever you're fishing for them. So, I mean, you can really start putting together a good flounder pattern starting now and be able to stay on that same pattern throughout the year. Yeah. Now, like you said, I definitely, they don't always use the areas the same because right now I don't feel like I can go to the back of a creek somewhere and effectively flounder fish. I just don't think they're there yet. Yeah. You know, but as far as those places that are close to inlets, close to the creek mouse, that kind of stuff, they're going to be there and they're going to be fished there throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't think that part's going to change much. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, kind of they're slowly transitioning into the back. But just because it's a spot they're already using right now, doesn't mean that it, they won't be there at the middle of the summer, I guess. Yep. Um, yeah. And two, now's a great time because the fish are so aggressive. I, you've heard me say it before, I power fish a lot. Yeah. I pick apart, you know, a small dock and I fish three, four, five casts to where I think they're going to be sitting or where I've known them to sit in years past. Mm-hmm. And if they're not there, I'm moving on to the next dock. Yeah. And that gives me the ability, you know, to cover water quickly. And I'll do that. I'll pass by the same spots three times in a day sometimes. You know, hit it at a high tide, hit it at a mid tide, and hit it at a low tide. For sure. And that'll give you, especially right now when we can't keep them, that's going to give you the option to figure out where those fish are sitting at at a high tide, where some of those fish are sitting at a mid tide, where they're sitting at a low tide, and how they transition through those certain areas. Um, So the next time you go out, you know, all right, it's a mid tide. They were sitting underneath this dock float last week yeah that's where i need to fish you know yeah so you can really really dial the flounder in to that kind of degree um by making multiple passes in the same spot yeah flounder almost seemed to be like 
you know, a redfish or a sheep's head could be where it's like they're on this piling of the stock or under this yep. corner of the floating dock. Um, and you can be like that in a creek. Like there's this little little point, this little tiny micro point on this bank always has a flounder. And I, mean, I can't tell you how many spots like that I've got, especially in the river where I can, yeah. I'm not going to hook one every time, but like there's, if you make the right cast 90% of the time, you know, I'm not saying like every cast you make up there, but if you go hit it once a day, you can pull a flounder yeah. off of it. It's just like how a trout, like a, like a rainbow trout or a brown trout is going to find a primary position in a river, a good spot to sit. The bait's going to flow around. Like those spots exist at, out in the marsh as well. And those flounder are going to fall into those spots. If you take one out of there, another one's going to come find it because it's productive. Yep. You know, I think you can also catch flounder kind of out in no man's land, but kind of keying in on those little points, those little creek mouths, those little oyster rocks um, can definitely point you in the right direction. And like I said, they're just so fun because you can be red fishing, you know, sight fishing for redfish, and then you can be like, oh, I move, I'm, you know, I don't usually see them in this zone. You know, fire 10 cast off to your next place and pick up a flounder, maybe sometimes two flounder, yeah. if you know where to make those casts. And that's why it's, you know, they're, they're just a fish that, too many people that like to fish how we fish overlook and say, oh, I don't care about catching flounder. They don't fight. You can't see the eat. It's all about the reward of a good cast and knowing where they live. So, Well, and two, something to add, we were talking about like how they use certain areas. Uh-huh. Between now and summertime, as the numbers get bigger or you know, as more fish start moving inshore, the highly productive areas that you're finding now are going to hold more than just one fish this summer. Right. right. That was something that I started to learn last year is like where I caught fish early in the season. If it's a big enough habitat area, you know, we're not talking just one small deep hole in a Creek somewhere, but you know, if you find a long deep slough or something that's got a good bank or a good little Creek coming into it, whatever, you know, in that spot's, 10 feet by 10 feet or 15 by 15 Mm -hmm. feet, you know, something that's a little bit bigger. Typically there's going to be multiple fish holding on that same area. So once you catch one, you know, go ahead, spend the extra time to make 10, 12 more casts and cover just slightly off of the spot where you caught that fish left and right. And a lot of times once you start getting into the summer and more numbers are here, you're going to be able to pick up more fish in that same spot. Yeah, I agree, man. Um, that, that's what's that's what's so cool about, it. and that, I would say that trend kind of plays true with redfish and with black drum and with other intro fish, but flounder for sure. I mean, yeah. flounder it that that's a, like a like a cold hard rule. Um, one thing I do want to talk about though is, and I know like we said, um, you know, f- dock fishing can be tedious, but I always share with people that ask, they're you know, instead of, a dock is way more straightforward than a creek. You know what I mean? As far as going and fishing it and picking it apart and feeling like you've covered it well and haven't left anything behind. Um, So I do want to spend some time talking about flounder fishing docks. So if you're approaching a dock or say you're going to fish a stretch of docks. And and I remember the first time I I ever did really good dock fishing. I was fishing a a finger mullet and a jig head off my parents' dock at Topsail. And this was off like a little crappy kayak as a kid. And I was with Damon, my brother. Damon was on a kayak too. And we both had like a little tow behind, a little live well bucket thing and some some mullet. And we, we fished like eight docks. I can't tell anybody where our, the dock is or these docks are going to get hammered. But um, <laughs> we fished like eight docks north, like 
our dock and then a docks north and then we caught like 11 flounder and three redfish you know it was just me and him we didn't know what we were doing this is back back in like middle school and yeah. we were just like hopping mullet on jig heads and our docks but that's the cool thing for like the kayak guys man is you can really fish docks well like you could get you could put in at topsail or Wrightsville beach or any of these places and just stay under the docks the whole day because you can paddle right under them um, and yep. just pick all those docks apart from like the bank out which i think is probably one of the better ways to to pick them apart but if you're going in and fishing a dock like what and you want to kind of work through docks and try to find productive docks take me through like how many casts you're making the angles how you're setting the boat up um, and when you're like all right done with this dock moving to the next one and then also share with me like what type of lure or bait you like to do it with to feel like you've you know searched it well so and i'm gonna sit back and drink this lemonade (laughs) this time of year like i pick apart a lot of docks on the intercoastal so depending on the tide i try to hit them more on like the upper to incoming tide or the top of the fall Mm -hmm. i want that deeper water um most time i'm going to set on the down current side and put my nose of the boat you know with the trolling motor into the current and that just gives me good control of moving from the deepest outer part of the dock all the way up to the bank and kind of staying exactly where i want um so from there i will take and pick normally either the furthest outside line of post or that first gap between the you know outside post gotcha and fish that at least two to three casts so my first cast is going to be shortest it's going to be right up to the back post maybe a foot or two past it open up the bell make sure that bait gets down because if you close your bell as soon as you know your line comes out of your rod tip and your bait hits here if you close the bell now you've started a pendulum swing back to you yeah so you want to make sure you leave that bell open so that bait can freely fall straight down there's going to be some current push but it's not going to be that pendulum swing to pull it away so first thing cast it in there a lot of times i just put my hand over the line over the bell or hold it in my fingers after i cast i don't even close the bell for the first few seconds just let it sit there now close the bell and a lot of times just that free slack of letting that bait especially like z-mans or other buoyant plastics it gives it a lot more movement Mm. versus just that straight swing back to the boat um so i'll start with that jig a little bit work it past that post get maybe two feet behind the post when i'm dock fishing i'm really just oriented on the structure not really what's around it um pick it up the next post in you know closer into the middle next post in on the next cast you know and i slowly work my way into it because i found especially like when red fishing and this doesn't really have to do doesn't really have to do a flounder but with red fishing if you cast it right you know in the middle of the school and all the fish spook away from it right, right so you know going into summertime there's still some schools of redfish around you know if you happen into one of those you just don't want to blow out whatever's underneath there if there's you know trout drum whatever so i'll just kind of pick it apart easing my bait farther and farther up underneath the dock then from there i typically go to the back of it so you know you got your main dock with like pavilion or whatever out on the end and then mm-hmm. you got your walkway i'll go from the very farthest outside to right behind that where it converges down and I fished that little section and then I feel like a lot of times that's where the flounder are on that yeah. little that little kick in 
not out on the front. You'll catch them out on the front of the dock, but like wherever it goes yep. from like big dock where all the boat stuff is to like that corner to the straightaway to the walking part. Mm-hmm. This is where I catch them. Sorry, keep going. No, you're good. I mean, that's. I feel like that holds true for me for like 75% of the docks. That is the area where I catch them. I think that's just because it gets the least amount of like wave action, boat action, that kind of stuff coming in right there. It's kind of protected. Um, And it kind of gives a line for bait traveling down. If they hit the post on the walkway out, they kind of travel those posts a lot of times too, if you watch the bait. So, but then from there, if it's a really high tide and there's water all the way up to the grass and you know, you got a foot, foot and a half at least up against the grass line, I'll skip from there to maybe the last four or five sections of dock pilings going up to the grass, fish those, and then come, you know, out back out and around and skip to the next dock. Now, when I make the transition out, you know, in the intercoastal and I'm along the front of the docks, I'll make a few casts there. Same idea of, you know, making sure that bait gets down to the bottom. And if it's a really big dock that I can't cover all the way from one side, from the down current side, once I get around to the other side, if I can hold myself in position, I'll spot lock and walk to the back of the boat and pitch, you know, a few around. But most of the time, I don't even worry about it because when you're fighting a flounder and they turn sideways, as much as they move, a lot of times you just end up breaking fish off in those docks when you're trying to fish them from the up current side versus the down current side. Cause with the down current side, they're getting pushed out from where they're at. You know, once you get their head turned and pulled down current, they're kind of coming with you. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So yeah, they, they've got much more of a play when you're up current of them. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that I wouldn't share anything else on that. That's pretty perfect. Um, so what kind of bait do you like to throw? I'll share mine and then you can, or I'll, you share yours and I'll share mine. Now, what kind of artificial uh, do you like to throw when you're dock fishing? This time of year, I start with like a 3-8 jig head with a white, like four or five inch paddle tail. Five inch, I kind of wait till more into the summer. Yeah. And like this time of year is more of like the four inch. I feel like the four inch bait kind of keeps a lot of like lizard fish and that kind of stuff off my bait. Um, so that four inch is kind of the size I stick with. Yeah. And then once I start seeing the, the mullet show up, or they're starting to get a little bigger, then I'll switch over to that five inch bait and go with that pretty much all summer long. Yeah, that's a good point right there, man. Like I like fishing big flounder, big baits for flounder, but not until there's bigger baits around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not that they won't eat it, but kind of match the hatch. Well, I mean, once those once those bigger mullet are swimming the banks pretty good, those five six inch mullet, like big old long fluke, like a six seven inch fluke, you can get away with that inshore. But um, yeah. But it's also kind of a pain to fish something that large. But yeah, I'm a big fan of white too, chartreuse. But usually white. Not they'll eat naturals too, but they're aggressive fish. And so just throwing something that you know they're going to see that you can work quickly and um, and whatnot. It's like it's like power finesse fishing is what flounder fishing is. I feel like <laughs> exactly. So you know, combining the two opposites, power finesse. But uh, well, cool. Well, I'm trying to think. We went through through that, and and I would say you know similar you can fish bridges you can fish other big pieces of structure jetties the same way and and one big thing is just changing the angle up like michael was saying like you'll fish a dock from one side and you'll flip it around and go the other way and something about the, your bait coming that way you'll catch two or three fish off of it so um just because you hit it from one side or one corner or one angle don't be afraid to go back in i'm still letting everybody look at you while i talk um to go back in and hit it from a different angle that that's definitely a big thing and with a lot of i see that with striper a lot too 
like changing your angle up just a little bit can really, really help with, with getting those fish to eat. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's kind of a good start on spring fly fishing. Is there anything else, Mike, that you can think that we kind of need to move into and cover a little bit? Um, I would say the only thing, so there's a lot of docks that are kind of within creeks or, you know, a little tighter. They're not just like the intercoastal. So you're not able to get around and fish like the backsides or they don't have those long walkways. Right. You know, I still fish the fronts of them very similarly, but when I start and the way I fish it is more like I'm trout fishing. Like I pitch up current and I bounce it and just let the current move the bait Yeah. instead of trying to cover water and jig it and make, you know, 10, 15 cast and cover the whole front of the dock. Um, that is the one time I'll step down to a quarter, three sixteenths, whatever with that still with that big four inch, you know, Z man and pitch it up underneath the edge of it while I'm sitting off the front nose into the current with the boat pitch up current and just pick it up and hop it and let the current move it more than me trying to make you know all those casts and cover that amount of water yeah so no and i don't know if that makes a huge difference but to me i feel like i cover the water more effectively because my bait is staying down there on the strike you know down on the bottom where those flounder can see it for a longer period of time versus just sticking it in three or four different places, five places, how many ever casts you make and them only getting to see it, you know, for the three or four feet that you're in that spot yeah. on every retrieve. Yeah. I think that's, that's huge. Um, one other thing too is, you know, so many people fish fluke style baits, like, you know, jerk shad fluke jerk bait style, um, soft plastics for flounder. What is your take on that? And, and how often are you fishing that? How often are you fishing a paddle tail? I'm a huge believer in the paddle tail. I like the thump. Yeah. You know, having something that gives off a little bit more push of water, mm-hmm. I think, especially in deeper water, um, water that's not got great visibility is better. But I, you know, flukes and stuff, I've caught fish on them. I'm not going to say that, you know, they don't work. They definitely do. I think, though, I use that in more clear water. Or when I'm targeting fish that are a lot shallower, yeah. where I want basically just that movement for that fish to be able to see it. Yeah, you know, I would. I, I'm with you. I would say the the paddle tail man. Those fish can feel that that thump of the tail so much better. Um, it's more of a not finesse, but it's more of a realistic type of bait. You know, you're pulling those yeah. bites out of fish too that might not be really wanting to eat, but but that that fluke is such a reactionary bite. You know, that thing darts, dart, 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 and then, you know, they're, they're just eating it based off of a pure, you know, instinct. reaction and instinct. But, yeah. you know, six, one, half a dozen, the other, they're both great choices. Um, and you ask five different people, you probably get five. Di- well, you can't get five different answers. You'd have two different answers. But, um, but well, yeah. And I think, too, with flukes and stuff, I feel like I would fish them more in calmer water like where there's not as heavy of a current flow and i think that's just because of the effective ability in my opinion to be able to work that bait yeah like when i'm flounder fishing you know i'm fishing a lot of like clear water from wrightsville beach to topsail that kind of area so like visibility wise most of the time is pretty good but i'm fishing a lot of heavy current flow unless it's you know right there at the ends of the tides you know so i think i feel like a lot of times just that having that slender profile with the tail that works really really well it's a little stiffer than the flukes and stuff 
I prefer. But like if I go down to the river or somewhere that doesn't have quite that much current flow in some areas, then yeah, you know, flukes and stuff like that, I think are great. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would like to know everyone's opinion too. If you are listening to this podcast, um, or more so even just watching it on YouTube, just shoot a comment over. Like, if you'd rather fish a fluke or a paddle tail, because it, that is always such a debate. Like, a lot of guys don't swap over. It's like they either fish a fluke or they fish a paddle tail, and and that's it. So, um, let us know what you like to fish in the comment section, and we'll talk about it in the next episode. Because I'm curious to see, like, you know, out of everyone that listens to this, what is What's everyone's favorite flounder bait? You can even let us know like the color and style of bait that you like to fish inshore or near shore. Because um, it's funny, it's one of those. It's like trout fishing, man. It's like oh, it's like the the hot olive broken glass MR17 with a five second <laughs> pause and and three twitches and then two twitches. You know that yeah. people can get like that dialed on their like their their flounder soft plastic. So man, um, we covered creeks, we covered docks, we covered you know what we like to throw. Um, is there a specific jig head weight that you like that you gravitate to, or is it completely like um, situational? Completely situational. I have a handful of jig heads that just sit on my console, yeah. and either I tie out you know three, four, five, six different times a day, or I've got you know four rods in the boat and I've got one of each size on there. Yeah. So, and then if I break off, you know, I just kind of go from there for whatever I need to tie on. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, I, I've confessed this on here before, but I'd never know the, the weights of jig heads. Like someone's like, <laughs> Oh, what weight is that? And I can never, I'm terrible, terrible, terrible with numbers. Um, and so I look at all my jig heads, I've got all the weights and I like, I know what I need to throw, but I'm like, Oh, is this a three sixteenth or a one eighth ounce <laughs> or three fourteenths or a 22nd? I don't know what it is. <laughs> But this is the weight I need to be throwing. Um, so yeah. if you ever ask me and I don't straight up answer you the correct way, it's because you made me nervous and I can't remember what the number is <laughs> for the for the jig head that I that I was using. Um, I've definitely like kind of copped out of some YouTube comments before. Like, what size jig head was that that you caught that that third redfish on or something like that? And I'm like, oh, it's situational. <laughs> I can't remember, but. Uh, eventually one of these days I'm gonna have them all memorized. But like I said, it's, it's all about feel and, and seeing the jig head for me. Like, so that's just yeah. me making an excuse of why I can't memorize numbers, but I've never been able to in my entire life. So, um, but yeah, I would say the same for me. I mean, I, I fish a three sixteenths a lot. That's like my go-to inshore jig head. Um, yeah. But with flounder, I will go a little bit heavier, like trying to tend bottom nicely. If I'm in deeper water and more current, I will definitely go heavier. Um, yeah. But you fish the you like the eye strikes as well. Eye strikes. When it comes to flounder fishing, a lot of times I just go with whatever's. I hate to say it, but kind of the cheapest. Yeah, I like it. And that's just because in your dock fishing and everything else everybody's gotten one stuck on a piling got one stuck in a guide wire broke something off you know it it happens so instead of throwing away dollar jig heads you know it's just easier to buy the cheap things from walmart sometimes oh yeah so, i agree but hook is qual. you know even though i buy a cheaper jig head i still make sure i get the the kind of hook style that i like which is more of that wide gap longer shank um hook style yeah so. you like a thin wire or a kind of heavy duty wire for flounder I prefer more of a stiffer wire if I can get it, and that's just because I use the jig heads for trout, flounder, redfish, you know, and I feel like for flounder and redfish, I definitely like that heavier wire hook. Trout, not as much, you know, it kind of goes either way. I don't really care, 
but um, I definitely like that heavier hook for both uh, flounder and redfish. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, dude, I think we've covered it well. I think I hear Scarlet up. Is she up and talking? Yeah, um, she is. Passy is down again. Passy's so. down. Well, Mike, thanks for hopping on here and doing a flounder podcast. We're going to do more as season progresses, but you know, it, like we said, it's a great fish to go out there and just add to your day um, and become a better angler so that you can you can smack them good when season comes in if you want to keep a couple. Um, and hopefully, eventually, we won't have a season again. Hopefully, we'll be able to keep flounder year-round. But um, yes, sir. we'll just see what happens. Um, but, Mike, thanks so much, man. I know you need to run. You guys, we were, we're not going to do Patreon content tonight just due to our busy schedule this evening. But if you have not checked out our Patreon page, go over there and check it out. we got tons of extra content uploading it uh, very regularly, multiple times a month, not always every week. Um, and as we get into the summer, we're going to we're gonna add some more stuff in, into that. But as always, Mike and I thank you all for coming on and checking out the podcast. Um, and we will see you all next week. Later. <laughs>